Hello and welcome to Dirty Talk with Chapman and Tati. I'm Chapman. And I'm Tati. We're two college students who aim to discuss sex, romance, and everything in between. On this show, we have frank conversations about our experiences, feminist theories, sexual health, and more. So, just sit back and enjoy a little bit of Dirty Talk. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about reproductive health. Right, because you can't talk about sex and not health issues. I mean, I feel like you can. Well, maybe this is the problem. Male bodies and female bodies have very different experiences. Yeah. So for a little bit of help, we're going to look towards a friend with endometriosis to tell us her story. And we're going to interview columnists who wrote about racism in the health industry. So let's jump in. Uh, Our friend Michaela is with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming. Uh, would you just like to jump in and talk to us about um, your your journey? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if uh, Tatiana actually mentioned this, but um, I am a woman with endometriosis. So that's something that we'll be talking a little bit more about today. Um, I wanted to back up and just generally talk about my journey with uh, reproductive health. It's been a winding and shitty road, mm. honestly. Um, so I wanted to start with a pretty shocking fact from the Endometriosis Foundation of America, excuse me. Uh, one out of 10 women suffer from endometriosis in the United States. So explain to me what is endometriosis? Yeah. So, uh, Mayo Clinic has like a list of symptoms and I think it's easiest to explain the symptoms and then back up. So, um, one of the biggest ones is painful periods. Um, so that can be pelvic pain, cramping, um, For me, it's usually very stabby. Uh, (laughs) Pain with intercourse, uh, which is also very stabby for me. So um, having sex and then just all of a sudden you're in tremendous pain. That's awesome. Um, Pain with bowel movements or urination. So sometimes going to the bathroom, especially during times when you're on your period, is just a nightmare. Um, Excessive bleeding during your period. So just like it never ends. Um, Sometimes infertility is tied in with this as well. Um, And one of the weird things about endometriosis um, is that actually some doctors suggest that women get pregnant during it, but it's like it's coupled with infertility issues, right? Right. So um, endometriosis is when your uterine lining just continues to grow out and grow out and grow Hmm. out. And so like you just get like this excess tissue build. Um, And so one of the things that solves that is your body getting pregnant. But it also makes it super hard to get pregnant. So it's like this weird, like, vague area where uh, a lot of times women with it are really frustrated because they've been told, oh, get pregnant, but they're dealing with infertility. Jesus, what a (laughs) solution. (laughs) Yeah, you'll find that in in general, I think that women's health is just given a bunch of Band-Aids instead of real solutions. Mm. Um, And that's definitely been my experience. So yeah, um, to sort of contextualize my experiences with sexual health, I think it would be best to sort of start from the beginning. Um, So I started this whole journey by originally talking to my mom. And at the time I was a young teenager, I think I was either 15 or 16, um, and I was dealing with a lot of acne and um, I was getting some painful periods. Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, I am having a rough time and my mom suggested that maybe it was time to go ask about the pill. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went into the doctor with her. Um, I left her in the waiting room because she was kind of uncomfortable with like sitting in on that. And so I was talking to the doctor to get the pill originally. And it was this awful experience, honestly, because like 
the, from the very beginning of this whole health journey, like my first interaction, I felt super judged for. Oh, that sucks. Like mm. I, it felt like an interrogation where this lady is like, "And you're not having sex? Are you sure you're not having sex?" Mm. And it was like, "Lady, are, are you sure? Like, you're not I know I'm sex. not having sex. I think I'd know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Hope um, so. So that was sort of like the beginning of that experience. Um, so anyway, I went to the doctor and I got the uh, the pill. I think it was at that point just like a general estrogen pill, mm-hmm. pretty basic stuff. Um, so yeah, I was on the pill. I didn't actually become sexually active for two more years, I believe. Um, so I became sexually active uh, around 17. I was like late 17, almost 18. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time on the pill and like prior to that, there wasn't like the introduced pregnancy element of it. So Mm -hmm. like, I wasn't as nervous about like missing pills, but then as that became an issue, I would miss a pill and then be worried about getting pregnant. So Mm. I'd have to double up. Ooh, which that's not great for your body, right? No, it's not. (laughs) It's Um, a lot, a lot of hormones. What do you know about it? Uh, I just, (laughs) I mean, I feel like a lot of it's just like assumptions of like, oh, if you know, if you have a lot of hormones altogether, because like the huge part of it is you take the pill daily to maintain your body's idea that it is pregnant, yeah. right? Basically. Yeah, exactly. So the thing about, I think the best be way I've heard pregnant. that described is that it's basically <laughs> akin to taking a dosage of plan B. Okay. So like just a, a shit ton of hormones right. going into your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you sort of like, depending on your own experiences, I would always get really nauseous. Okay. So yeah, I was getting nauseous all the time and it just generally wasn't working for me. So what ended up happening, I came back couple of years later and I was like, hey, I'd like to switch to something that I don't have to think about every day. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So uh, I switched to the patch. Okay. So it's like this little hormonal patch that you wear on your arm. It's like a nicotine a patch, but yeah, it's very similar. Estrogen. So <laughs> I switched to the patch and it was an absolute nightmare for mm. me. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I was starting to get migraines, but I oh. hadn't connected the dots. Gotcha. And so I spent the most miserable summer ever. Um, at the time, I was a day camp counselor for a summer camp. And so I remember Ooh, at one point, green inducing. oh <laughs> my God, I was watching four kids at the pool oh, and no. I got the worst migraine ever. And I nearly passed out on like the like hot cement of the pool side. Jeez. Yeah. And so it was like a terrible situation. My boss had to send me home. And that was sort of the first time that I had like some alarm bells going off of like mm-hmm. something is not working in my body. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, um, I went on for a little bit and then um, I ended up getting hospitalized recently after. Wow. And the reason for that is because I was getting such an intense migraine that was like localized to the left side that my mom actually thought I was having a stroke. God. Mm -hmm. And so we rushed to the ER. um, And like the worst part of this whole experience is that like they never actually gave me a conclusive answer. Wow. But they did give me a spinal tap. Ha. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, I still have a little scar on my back, which is pretty rad. That's um, not fun. <laughs> yeah, so I never really heard from them about like what they could determine caused it, but then eventually I heard from a family friend that she was having issues with um, her patch mm-hmm. and how that could cause migraines and all that. So step two, um, getting off the patch. Um, for a while, I was off birth control in general. Then I went in for an IUD because mm-hmm. I didn't want to get pregnant, obviously. Um, I had an incredibly awful insertion experience and this was one of those moments when it really became evident to me that there was just like a huge disconnect between men, uh, between health professionals 
and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because like nothing was really described to me. My nurse was pretty curt. Yeah. So basically I just had like this really awful interaction once again mm-hmm. with a health professional. Um, she didn't explain to me why she asked me to take an ibuprofen. It was for anti-inflammatory, but I okay. thought it was for painkiller. Uh, so I took a Vicodin. Oh no. Didn't have the anti-inflammatory properties. And uh, I was in so much pain that I vomited twice and had to be taken out on a wheelchair. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also through that process, uh, the nurse was kind enough to tell me that I needed to toughen up. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was pretty terrible. So, yeah. Um, during this time, I was having issues with a painful period for most of my like reproductive life. But then I was starting to experience more of an insidious problem, was which was like intense stabbing pain during intercourse. Jeez. And so like... I switched doctors several times throughout this whole process. I finally addressed that, and it was basically brushed aside. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, um, at one point I got super frustrated, and I was like, okay, well, what if I just got an elected hysterectomy, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what my gyno said to me. She literally goes, you haven't even used your uterus yet. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, it feels like I've been using it, maybe (laughs) even abusing it. But anyway, yeah, so uh, she wasn't very helpful. Um, I, at this point, had looked up resources on endometriosis, so I was like, these are very consistent with what I'm seeing online. She still refused to actually give me a laparoscopy, which is a surgery to diagnose officially. So I've never been diagnosed officially, which is like a huge point of frustration for me. Yeah. Um, But she did prescribe me additional hormone birth control. That was catastrophic, and I eventually got off that. this is all very common stuff. And the reason that I tell you this isn't so that we have like some big tragic backstory as mm-hmm. much as like, I want to emphasize that like I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So like these have been incredibly traumatic experiences for me, but um, more and more research is coming out that suggests that women aren't taken seriously in general about their pain. And so um, this phenomenon is something that I sort of wanted to bring to light with a few cases. Um, And I got all of these studies off of the CSU Morgan Library database. So for those of the audience who want to look at these later, um, that's where you'll find them. But one 2009 study by researchers Mina and Likens published in the Journal of Sex Research found that in a sample of 759 women, 14 percent experienced pain during intercourse on at least 50 percent of their attempts Jeez. so just think of that like having pain during intercourse almost half the time that you're having sex it really turns you off to sex (laughs) yeah it's really difficult um personally i've found myself lying about it because i feel like i've spoiled the whole experience sometimes Mm -hmm. um and then in an article published um by the magazine horizons um joanna chu summed up a problem this way So multiple clinical studies have shown that doctors take women's pain less seriously than men's pain. Women are also more likely than men to be misdiagnosed with mental health issues. And meanwhile, men tend to be prescribed stronger pain medication than women, even after accounting for differences in weight. Hmm. So like you can just see like systematically doctors are believing men and giving them something for their pain. Yeah. Um, And then also there was a 2007 Swedish study um, where... They took a bunch of Swedish women and asked them about their experiences with AHC or abuse in healthcare and sort of like what they had experienced. And here were some of the common themes. Um, Others had repeatedly reported their experiences to staff and yet nobody believed them. A third example was when they tried to raise their voices and nobody took any notice. Women also felt powerless and they were not understood. And so like I just sort of wanted to leave it there because like 
I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And more and more research is coming out to show that like women are just not being taken seriously in their pain. So I don't see my own traumatic experiences in the healthcare providing area as something that's an anomaly. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you so much for coming, Mikaela. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you to Michaela for coming in and shining a light on endometriosis for us. Uh, so up next, we have an interview with a couple of columnists who wrote about how race affects health. Uh, let's jump right into that. On today's podcast, we have a couple of columnists from the Collegian, uh, Jayla and Michelle. I've invited them on because they wrote a column last month called It's Time to Address How Racism Affects Health. And I think it has a lot to do, it can be applied to what women face in health as well. Do you want to talk about your article a little bit? Sure. So this was an idea that we had in uh, respect to Black History Month, and I am getting my master's in public health, and so we talk about social determinants of health a lot in my field, and racism is a major social determinant of health. So mm-hmm. every time I do a study, I always look at the racial breakdown of my results, and there's always, always a discrepancy, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not because of any biological differences in race, obviously. It's because of racism and institutionalized racism and socioeconomic standards. So um, I reached out to Jayla to see if she would want to write with me. (laughs) Yeah, so I write the, um, usually my beats are about uh, social justice, racial relations, things of that aspect. I like to write a lot about intersectionality. And this column just really fit because it's such an important topic. America has hegemony, you know, and if you don't fit in that box, which is the, you know, white male standard, that reflects in healthcare and it reflects disproportionately with marginalized women specifically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this column highlights a lot about that. Michelle brought in that um, healthcare knowledge and we also talk about our experiences. So, yeah. We're in a room right now of, like, all three of us have experienced some pretty serious nonsense, to put it lightly, with our in regards to our healthcare, right? For me, it's, like, um, UTI nonsense, birth control nonsense. Someone looked me in the face and said they could not give me a certain kind of IUD because it would effectively make me infertile, which is, like, lie, 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 lie. <laughs> so, and with, like in regards to who's taking our pain seriously, who's taking our needs seriously, the fact that the three of us can nod along in here and be like, yeah, yeah, I've experienced that. It's not unusual. It's not weird. We have not won the misery lottery in here. It's really, it's very much part of the female experience, I find. Um, So, and I think that it's just the consequences of an American hegemony, like you're talking about, when the normal, quote-unquote, when... person is imagined as a white man even though mathematically that doesn't work out (laughs) (laughs) not at all but when that's imagined and and everything is built around that as the average person then everyone else is othered yeah speaking in my experience as one of the others I know for a fact that how we're seen in society shapes how we're seen um, in healthcare in the medical field so as a black woman you know we're overly sexualized and that that follows over. So if you talk about like things like being in um, fertility, that's a big one. Black women are seen as able to have babies just because of how our bodies are perceived. That's mm-hmm. false. That's so, so false. We're all, you know, individuals. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And then also in my regard, um, if you go in and say, I'm in pain, like I need help, I need medicine, it's the first thing they think of is drugs. You're in there asking for drugs. I had mm-hmm. cuts in my hand and I needed stitches and I had to like prove how much pain I was in just mm-hmm. to get medication. It's it's ridiculous sometimes. And that's something that is really well backed up by research um, mm-hmm. for both people of color and women. Um, it's proven that pain is taken less seriously. And for black people in particular, it is pretty well established in with scientific studies that uh, they are much more likely to be perceived as drug seeking than white people, even Mm -hmm. though there is absolutely no factual basis for that assumption. And this really affects like the type of medical care we get. So black women have the highest um, like birth mortality rates and it's Mm -hmm. disproportionate. Um, And that's just because the doctors, they don't have access to great medical um, like treatments. And then um, the other factors instead. So when they say they're in pain or that there's a problem, they're not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's so true. And um, black women are also disproportionately almost three times more likely than white women to give birth prematurely or to have children that are lower than average birth weight, which is one of the major indicators of death in the first year of life. Mm-hmm. And it's something that pre- that uh, disproportionately affects women of color uh, simply because of the access to medical care and also because of the stresses of institutionalized racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're focusing a lot on black women. That's just because I can speak from that perspective. <laughs> but that's for all um, people of color and marginalized identities. Oh, Serena Serena Williams. She's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. She went and had a baby and she almost died mm-hmm. because she had a blood clot problem and the doctors didn't take her seriously. Mm-hmm. So if Serena Williams can walk into the hospital and not be taken seriously, the rest of us don't stand a chance. Yeah. And I feel like that helps illustrate how there's a lot of different factors working on people when we're talking about oppression. There is class oppression, there's gender depression, there's racialized oppression. And to kind of, I think a lot of times people like to dismiss it because they like to imagine that we live in a nice world where it's like, it's just because, you know, poverty. Nope. Nope. No one's going to say that Serena Williams didn't get what she needed because she couldn't afford it. That's when you're talking about someone being racialized and the serious consequences of it. Totally. And also, even if people can't afford it, they are also much more likely to be discriminated against in a healthcare setting, regardless of ability to pay. Um, And related to that, the institutionalized racism in our country disproportionately pushes people of color to the bottom, which makes it harder for them to access care and be able to pay for it. And it's really Mm -hmm. just an unfair system. Yeah, it really is. Those are just all so interconnected. It's Mm -hmm. hard for most people to even see the difference, but there is one. You're completely right. Like I could have all the money in the world and that's not going to guarantee me um, that I'm going to be treated respectfully or with all of the care I need. Yeah. And and we have the data to prove that. I'm really glad that you both could come on today because I think that any conversation about reproductive justice needs to go on just by go on beyond what women face because as you said it earlier we were talking and you were like there's a lot of women (laughs) so to kind of not only are women othered in the medical industry with this kind of bizarre notion of like oh women's health and a woman's doctor and woman's problems as if we don't make up like 
half the population. We make over over half, <laughs> over the, population. half the population. We're actually <laughs> the majority. <laughs> and so then to you can it's easy to see how it's constructed as if it's like this other weird minority issue. And on top of that, everything is supposed to fit in these weird little issues. And so if women are cast aside and not heard, um, then there's 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 all these How additional does that things. Affect other women yeah. who are not um, who are not white, right? So it's yeah, or straight. You're talking about not white women. Yeah, you're talking about not straight middle women. class, right? You're not you're talking about poor women. You're talking about transgender women. Mm-hmm. Like if we're gonna explore justice, it, it goes beyond just understanding how being gendered affects us. In public health, we look at this um, thing we call the public health pyramid, and the lowest level of the public health pyramid is the thing that, if you target, will have the most change affected. And that level is socioeconomic factors. Mm -hmm. And that looks at things like racism and discrimination and poverty and classism and all of those things as public health issues, which I think is really important because, as we've discussed these are all really serious issues and they are having major effects on not just people's happiness, but on their actual ability to survive. People are dying. It's costing them their lives. Yeah. And that's a public health problem. Yeah. I think oftentimes people struggle to conceptualize racism and sexism as public health issues. They just think that they're like, but you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Julie. Like this is, this is life and death. And when you live with one of these identities, it's something you can't ignore. I, it's so apparent in my everyday in life. Every doctor's and the, visit, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that we have to explain and prove and just try to be heard on these issues is very difficult. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. After your column came out, uh, you were dragged by some alt-right blogger in yes. another... And a podcast. I think that means... two-hour podcast dragging. <laughs> it means we're doing something right. Right, yes. I suppose so. The more men's rights activists we can offend... The better. The The more alt-right activists we can offend. Yeah, the the better. (laughs) So if you're listening, alt-right activists, add us on Twitter. It makes my mom cry, but it makes us laugh, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got a two-hour-long podcast, though. That's the last setting, so. (laughs) Three-hour podcast next. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. So I'm really glad that we got uh, those different people in here for interviews because I think I think different perspectives on sexual health are really important because everybody experiences health, of course, but especially sexual health in different ways. Right. I This episode was really important to me from the beginning of us planning this podcast because uh, I think people don't talk about, we struggle with talking about health culturally enough, but on top of that, talking about the specific issues that women face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that becomes really apparent if you talk to pretty much any woman woman about her own story. Mm-hmm. For me, the first thing that comes up when, when I first had sex, I didn't know to pee. No one told me. Mm-hmm. And also doctors will straight up just be like, oh, that's a myth. You know, that's not the thing. Or, I don't know. Like it just, it didn't seem like a fact of life. And so I didn't, I didn't know. Anyhow, uh, because there was so much... Uh, shame and and fear around the whole situation i didn't talk if you can imagine i didn't talk about this the night very much with right people, yeah which is like funny to think of because now i'll tell you anything <laughs> everything you about know. it <laughs> right. like, and then no but i didn't i didn't want to talk about it and so then 
18 year old me really afraid was like i'm pregnant that's what happened <laughs> you, uh, if you have sex you will get pregnant and, and die, die. Wait, wait, wait. and <laughs> that wasn't just it it's um i was like okay a penis touched me i'm pregnant and then i was like also a penis touched me and there wasn't a condom right away so i also probably have stds maybe probably aids which okay audience like please use condoms this is not yeah. a story about not using condoms and how okay it turns out use condoms but for me i was like oh my god i'm gonna die and so i was like i have triplets and aids that's all there is to it and so then i started hurting a lot mm -hmm. and at first i thought it was just because i was sore and then I stayed sore, and then I, I heard a lot, and then I started peeing blood. And mm, I was like, and that's oh. Always, that's always a bad sign. Oh, I'm dying. That's what's <laughs> happening. I'm dying because my triplet AIDS. Like, I just, oh my gosh, I was so scared. <laughs> and <then laughs> it's, it, it, it was just a UTI. Mm -hmm. It was just because it, you got to pee after sex. Yep, pee after sex. On, yeah. Women especially, but also men. Yeah. Just everybody clean up. Just, it, and, gets, it, gets, it clears the whole system out. And I talked to older women, and they're like, how did you not know that? And I think culturally we, we fluctuate on what topics we talk about. And so, like, in the 80s, there's, like, the joy of sex that was mm -hmm. just, like, on coffee tables or all these radical works about women's bodies. And we're in a moment in time where that's not the truth mm -hmm. necessarily. And so I see that coming. I think that people our age, I think uh, the generation under us are all about bringing that back. But I it hope is, so. I really yeah, do. Because it, it makes a huge difference. People just need to have access to information about their bodies so they don't, you know, have a UTI and think they're dying. But also when you're talking about like Michaela with her endometriosis mm -hmm. or the issues that Jalen faced, um, the issues that Michelle faced, all these women we talked to today, there seems to be a lack of information. And, and when we lack information, we can't get together and change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Definitely. we just live with sadness and sickness. Well, <clears throat> we hope that we are helping to provide some of that information um, we hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. Uh, if you have comments, questions, anything else in between, email me, uh, ccrosskell, C-C-R-O-S-K-E-L-L, -L, at collegian.com. We love to hear from you, um, and we'll see you in two weeks with our next topic. Uh -huh.